0: CASA Child, Adolescent, and Family Mental Health, welcome to another edition of our live streaming event of the Pandemic's Impact on Mental Health web series. I'm Lesson McDonald and I'm your host for this session. I'm coming to you from my home office as we are practicing social distancing and doing everything online as everybody else in the world is doing these days um and uh, more important than ever it is to talk about our mental health and uh, the impact on our mental health with this pandemic which is what this call is about um, casa is a nonprofit organization providing assessments and treatment for women and families in in Alberta for more than 30 years. And uh, this live stream is about sharing CASA's resources and insight and information that's reliable and accurate for you in this time of the pandemic. It's a continuation actually of our um, Roger, Dr. Roger Bland series that we've been doing for over two years. Um, it's a monthly series, uh, It um, it's a live event. And our goal has always been to inspire dialogue, hope and wisdom and to help reduce the stigma uh, faced by people with mental health issues. And so we continue that conversation and learning by taking it online with this web series. We wanna thank our partners in this series, the University of Alberta, the Edmonton Public School Board, and the Alberta Alliance on Mental Illness and Mental Health. Our topic today is the youth perspective on the impact of the pandemic on mental health. And we have three students who are going to be joining us. With their lived experience Um, and uh, we also want to hear from you with your questions and your comments Uh, you can join our chat on our live stream it's pretty easy on your screen there's this little chat bubble in the upper right hand corner uh, and uh, you click on that icon and then a new window comes up and at the very bottom on the right it says join chat And uh, you just put in your name, you join the chat and you can uh, leave your comments and your questions. Um, Some of you may prefer actually to send us a text and you can do that as well. The number I think is on your screen. It's 780-709-6776. So our three guests today, I'm so pleased to have them. They are all part of the uh, Catha Youth Advisory Council. Um, So first up, we're gonna talk to Victoria Fair. Victoria is an undergraduate psychology major at the University of Alberta. She has extensive lived experience with mental illness and navigating Edmonton's mental health systems. And that experience is now her motivation to reduce stigma and shed light on the youth mental health perspective. Victoria's advocacy work is done primarily with the CASA Youth Advisory Council. Um, Thank you so much for joining us to Victoria. Um, I I just love any time that I get a chance to talk with you and and to hear your perspective, because you're so insightful. Um, So first of all, for those people who don't know, what is the Youth Advisory Council? So
1: the CASA Youth Council is a mental health action group We held our first meeting in May of 2016. We started off with four members and now we are at full capacity of 18 members with a wait list. Um, So our main purpose is that adversity into action piece. Our mental health council is not peer support nor therapeutic. We have the sole purpose of creating change and reducing stigma in our community. And we are very happy and very proud of all the work that we do. Wow, can you tell us a bit about the work that you do? Yeah, so one of our biggest projects that we have underway is our Unseen Mental Health magazine. Uh, we have three issues currently available on the castle website under our Youth Council webpage, and we have a fourth issue coming very soon. Our magazine features personal stories, scientific articles, poems, artistic pieces, uh, our cover, and most of our covers have been photography taken by our Youth Council members or art drawn by our Youth Council members. We also have four subcommittees, one of which is for the magazine. The other one we have is community education where we go into public schools within our city and give mental health presentations that are created and tailored uh, by our youth council and then delivered from that youth perspective to youth in our community to make sure that our mental health education is as comprehensive and relevant as it could be from a youth perspective. We also have a social media subcommittee, so you can follow us at Cassie Youth Council on Instagram and Facebook, and we have our community outreach, which I co-chair, and that focus is really on creating the network and organizing events and really creating that outreach perspective, pardon me, within our community and making sure we're networking with important stakeholders, other organizations and our community as a whole.
0: Wow, incredibly powerful work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give me an idea of, a bit about your background and how you ended up with the Youth Council, sort of what that, that journey is that led you there? Yeah, so
1: I have extensive experience, as you've mentioned, with mental health and mental illness. Um, I had a bunch of trauma and adverse childhood experiences throughout my life. Eventually those led me to needing uh, Psychological help, I had therapy appointments. Eventually I was referred to CASA. When I was about 13, I was hospitalized for suicidal ideations and that's where my experience with systemic and residential care comes in. Um, Through that, I had faced a lot of adversity, a lot of discrimination and a lot of stigma throughout my journey. That had led to at first an anger and then a passion to drive my motivation to create change and help other youth hopefully not have the same stigmatizing experiences that I have throughout my life.
0: You know, one of the things that we're hearing about is how important it is for people to do whatever they can in this pandemic. And in many ways, you'd already started that with the Council. How has the Council helped you?
1: The Council has helped me find my voice and really realize that I'm not alone in my experiences. Oftentimes, as youth, we navigate our mental health journeys feeling so isolated and as though we can't talk to anybody and as though nobody understands really what we're going through. And from the first meeting on the council, it really helped me realize that I can take that adversity and we can take our shared experiences as well as our diversity on the council and really create and foster that environment of change as well as compassion,
0: empathy for one another. Wow, we're gonna talk a bit about that further, but next I wanna invite Katie, uh, Mary-Kate, uh, and I forgot to ask you, Mary-Kate, or Katie, how to pronounce your last name. Is it Pum? Pume, yes. Pum. Uh, Apologies. We had a
2: technical glitch, so my computer is doing a bit of a reboot right now, on its own, without my help. So, we'll come back and I'll, I'll join the call shortly, but in the meantime, uh, Katie, sorry about the interruption in, uh, in your intro. <laughs> so, one of the things that I wanted to finish off with is how you eventually hope to become a mental health therapist. So, um, welcome, Katie. <laughs> um, tell us a bit about your journey.
3: Yeah, so I am currently a second-year student at the University of Alberta. I am focusing on my major in psychology I definitely have both experience working in the mental health industry as well as being a patient in the system as well. So I definitely can see both sides of the picture. As for being inpatient or part of the patient care system, I have dealt with depression, anxiety, PTSD, eating disorder and ADHD. So I definitely know the struggles with mental illness and mental health, which led to hospitalizations whether it be with CASA as a outpatient therapy or an inpatient program as, as a hospitalization. So I definitely get to see where the struggles are in um, everyday uh, society and where mental health is right now. So tell us about, um,
2: about how you became involved in the Youth Council.
3: Pardon? Tell us how you became involved in the Youth Council. So my part in Youth Council is I'm definitely a. So I'm a member of the Youth Council, so I work with all kind of the subcommittees a little bit. That's how we we kind of all work together. And my main interest with it is uh, at the education, so going to schools and talking about mental health and giving out a personal perspective as well as the social media and making sure everything is properly, um, that we're getting recognized.
2: Uh, I asked Victoria, "How do you think that uh, being involved in the council has helped you with
3: your healing?" It's definitely helped me, given me a voice. I think with CASA is, there's so many adults. The fact that we're bringing in children, uh, children or youth, it kind of gives them a new perspective that it's a not a uh, one-size-fits-all fits label, and they can't assume because everybody's different. So they get a, de- a definitely a bigger perspective on uh, what youth and uh, young adults can do for the community. Wonderful.
2: Um, I'm going to come back to you a bit later, uh, Katie, but, uh, but I want to introduce our, our final uh, person on the panel. Um, so, hang on a second, I'm so sorry, I am multitasking here, trying to get back on my laptop, and I have lost my questions. Um, I want to introduce next, uh, Cheniere Bono. Shanera uh, is a grade 12 student at Old Scona Academic in the IB uh, Diploma Program. She got involved with the CASA Youth Advisory Council from her lived experience with her brother who has autism. Um, after seeing what he experienced and those of other friends with mental health issues, she wanted to do something to provide support and to address the stigma. And so for a career, she's also interested in psychology or bioengineering. So welcome, Shahir. Um, uh, tell us a bit about your brother experience, what he went through, and, and, and what you learned from that.
4: Um, sorry, I didn't quite catch that. Could you repeat that last bit? I-
2: What you saw with your brother that really motivated you to want to get involved more with uh, ending the stigma, with helping people who are dealing with different types of mental health
4: issues. Yeah, so why I wanted to get involved in the CASA Youth Council is because um, surrounding me, I saw a lot of family members, um, some with developmental disabilities, I had friends who had anxiety, who had depression, um, friends who had autism, and I saw how um, family members that had autism, and I saw that A lot of them face a lot of stigma in their lives, Um, trying to get help in school, trying to talk to teachers, trying to get supports for them was always very difficult. It seemed like people weren't really listening to what um, what what supports were needed. And it seemed like they were kind of almost punishing the students for having um, mental health problems that needed to be addressed. Um, and then especially with developmental disabilities, they need a lot of support and it needs to be a specific kind of support that if you're not um, providing that in a proper way, can, that it can actually be detrimental for um, the students and for the kids. And so I saw that with my friends, I saw that with family members and that kind of pushed me to want to change the system to make it better for them so that they didn't face all of this systemic stigma. Um, and that's why I wanted to join the Cassidy Youth Council, yeah.
0: How the work that you have with the youth council? Sorry? Oh there. Now I'm back. online. We're on track. So I had to punch a of number of different things in at the same time. So it was multitasking. Um so tell me, we we heard from uh from the other two about uh, the impact that working with the council has had for them. Tell us a bit about the impact it's had with you. Like, yeah, you- so, yeah, it's made me a lot more um, both confident in my
4: ideas and more careful with the words I speak and how I express those ideas because um, I know that like sometimes you just want to get things out there and you want to start doing things but you also have to consider the impact that your words can have that maybe you haven't intended them to have. Yeah. Um, yeah. And especially with uh, people with developmental disabilities, like I said before, you need to be very specific Um, with the kind of support you're giving them because um, sometimes this like if people don't understand how developmental disabilities like autism work, um, if people don't understand how anxiety or depression work, they can sometimes say the wrong thing or like try doing something in a well-meaning manner that actually ends up being detrimental. So that's something I've learned that to be very careful with how I portray myself, how I um, portray my ideas in order to make it so that i'm actually helping the people i want to help and not actually hurt harming and then it's also made me more confident in the ideas i have because um when you're when you're on a council with people that have similar goals and interests then it can like you can you don't feel as alone anymore as victoria said before you kind of um feel like you have a stronger voice when you're with other people and that brings confidence
0: Wow. You know, I, uh, I love the idea of the fact that you all get to communicate together and how reinforcing that must be for you in terms of your own healing and your own journey. Um, because a lot of what the issues that people are going through right now is with isolation. We're all self, you know, we're all self distancing, but the isolation um, that people feel you have a community through this that you can share. What have you learned from that? Victoria, do you want to do you want to start off? Yeah, I think um,
1: yeah. with our council, oftentimes our in-person meetings will just be once a month. And so our council is very adapted to communicating and supporting each other through those online forums, whether mm-hmm. it be texting each other, checking in through emails, through surveys, et cetera.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and
1: I feel like our council, because of that experience, we can offer some good insight on how others may be able to utilize that and adapt their used to be socialized into the new format that we have to adopt due to this pandemic.
0: Yeah, the, uh, as students, all three of you are impacted by the pandemic in pretty pretty significant ways. Um, uh, two of you at least have lost your jobs. So with losing your jobs is, uh, is independence. I mean, you're stuck at home, uh, but you've lost a certain amount of independence and, and we just don't know how long this is gonna go Go on. What's that been like for you? Anybody can jump in. I think from a yeah. personal perspective, whether it be school or work, it,
3: isolation is definitely tough and not having a structure is easy to go back into the slump of depression and anxiety because so much how um, social social media is playing it out in the news, it's all that it's being talked about right now. So it's easy to see the death toll or like it getting higher and the anxiety is, is building up as well as losing your job, uh, only getting credit, not a GPA, and those who are trying to get into uh, graduate programs, it's definitely a bigger picture than the small kind of like, yeah, it's a pandemic, it's killing you, but also as well as the whole, so where am I going to be in, ten, in uh, 10 months from now? Am I still going to have a job? Am I going to go to my graduate program? It's definitely having like little spider webs. I'd like to say to it. There's a big problem, but then it has like little... Uh, Web's going into other
0: problems as well. And as students, you're now, all three of you are, are going to, are, are having to deal with uh, with courses online and with uncertainty about where, about where things are going. Uh, Shaher Bono, you, um, you're a grade 12 student, but you're an IB student and you haven't been able to take those exams that are going to help you get into university. What, what is, what has that been like? What are you dealing with? Yeah, so,
4: um, both with like graduating, um, so this being my final year before university and then um, with IB grades, a lot of the people in my school and me as well, um, your IB grades kind of can give you conditional acceptance to universities. Um, They give you a predicted grade based on your coursework so far, um, based on how well you've done on projects and things, but this isn't actually your IB grade. Your IB grade is simply based on, 85 percent of your grade is based on your exam, Um, And 15% is based on one project that you do over the course of two years. So of course, um, a lot of people, uh, like 85% of their grade isn't like, they have no access to that. They don't know what their grades are gonna look like. Um, The IB organization has given out some very vague guidelines about what um, marks could look like in the future, but there's no concrete idea like, Oh, so I was predicted at a high grade, but um, my project wasn't as good. So now, what's going to happen to me? And no one knows. And those mm-hmm. conditional acceptances on those IV grades are now in jeopardy for a lot of people because, um, like, if you were predicted at a 90 percent or an 85 percent, and now your project was a 75 or something like that, that's a huge difference, and you don't know what's going to
2: happen. Wow. wow.
0: Victoria, it is for you as well. I mean, you're a university and, um, and you know, that 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 concern about, um, you know, what happens to the rest of your, your school year.
1: Yeah. So, Kate and I are both um, yeah, yeah. at the U of A, and the U of A has recently made the decision to transfer from graded yeah. courses that affect your GPA to a credit-no-credit no credit system. And so for those of us like myself who are extreme tryhards and study our butts off and work really hard for the grades we get, this sometimes can be detrimental and really heartbreaking because none of the work we've put in is going to be reflected at the end of the semester. Um, As well, U of A just released a statement today that uh, our summer or spring convocation that's scheduled for June of 2020 Mm -hmm. is now going to be hosted online with a possible postponing for an in-person ceremony later on. But it's affecting a lot of university students, and it's unprecedented changes that are really working against our academics. And even the adjustment to just going onto online classes has been really hard, especially when you're dealing with depression and anxiety throughout this. And suddenly, maybe you have your live streamed lectures, but for all of my classes, they're pre recorded with audio. And so when you're having a really bad day or you're struggling for days on end, it can be really hard to find that motivation to go in and complete your coursework. And so it's been, I think I can speak for many students, it's been a big adjustment and
0: one that we are still getting accustomed to. One of the things that all three of you said to me is that, you know, you've had things postponed things like, uh, you know, your grad, your high school grad. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, and that's, that's, I don't know, you feel cheated for not having that opportunity to be with your your friends, your peers. You said you might not ever see them again. What's I think that- a, I think a huge part is like even though it's like even my birthday
3: falls tomorrow and like I was supposed to see all my good friends and enjoy my first year actually going out, it got canceled, but I do want to applaud the U of A for taking the risks that they needed to. Like it it was a give and take, but we have to applaud the U of A in the sense that they are keeping in mind that technology isn't the best. And as somebody has a learning disability, I need extra time and a quiet room. They had to cancel most most finals and find like alternatives. So I really need to applaud the professors at the U of A who worked their butts off trying to change the uh, exams and assignments in order to make us have a fair grade or a fairer grading system.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So I think with, we need to, all the universities and students have to applaud their profs because the amount of work they did within a week to ch- transfer everything over to a uh, online platform is is crazy.
0: Wow. I think Go for ahead. me
3: there's,
4: sorry, I think for me there's also been a sense of loss, kind of um, like you said, It's. Um, when you're finishing up your grade 12 year, everything's kind of been leading up to this so far. Your public education, kind of all of your teachers will tell you about grad and like your graduating friends will tell you about what happened and how much they enjoyed it. And then there's also all of the projects that you've been working on for the past three, four years that are kind of coming to their culmination. And now all of those things have been postponed or they've been canceled. And there's kind of a sense of loss there. But there's also kind of a loss of your friends as well, because a lot of them are going to go to school, not at the University of Alberta. So they're going to go like maybe a country away, maybe a few provinces away. And you don't know if you're ever going to see those people again. So and you kind of feel like those last few months that you had left to hang out with them, to talk with them, all of those things have been taken away as well. But then even with that sense of loss, there's still like a sense of community that you have that you can you can still talk to your friends online. You can still um, you can still video call with them. You can still try to be together. Like um, for example, one of my friends, uh, it was her birthday a few weeks ago um, mm-hmm. during, and we were uh, practicing social distancing. So of course we couldn't see each other, um, but we decided to ha- hold a video call instead. And so we like still saying happy birthday. And it was very laggy because video call, Isn't the best, but we're still trying to keep together, keeping a sense of community. I think is important, even um, even with this sense of loss that we have. That's kind of what you can mitigate.
2: Yeah, it's. it's, it's,
4: Um,
0: How are you feeling? The new normal. What are some things that you're doing? It's only been a couple of weeks now but we know this could go on for quite some time um, and but we're starting I think we're starting to settle in a bit more. What are you doing? Um, I know Victoria, uh, your mum talked about how you know you're baking, you're exercising, you're doing different things together as a as a family. There are other opportunities that you're finding um, to, to adjust. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so
1: for everyone, it's been a big adjustment, but similar to when you're dealing with a mental health crisis, it's one day at a time. And so for myself, I will wake up in the morning, I will gauge my mental health and see how I'm feeling. If I'm having a good day, I'll take out my notebook, I'll write myself a to-do list of things like maybe getting a workout in, uh, completing a lecture online, doing something I enjoy, etc., And if I wake up and I'm having a bad mental health day, then I don't make a to-do list. And I just say, okay, I'm gonna take it one hour at a time, just like I would on any other bad day. And sometimes that's difficult for those of us who struggle with mental health, suddenly having all of our days open-ended, especially once you're not in school uh, in person anymore or going to your job and making that paycheck. And so for myself, it's been the adjustment of first of all gauging where I'm at and then acting accordingly and planning my days in ways that will be beneficial to my mental mental health, sorry, and meaningful
0: to me. Wow. What about the rest of you? What are you doing, Kate? I
3: think definitely for me it's it's definitely hard because I go to the gym a lot and that's kind of like my healthy, my mental health kind of like my self-care. So it it's difficult, but I I don't make to-do lists, but I kind of do something every day, so I don't go into a bad headspace. So whether it be baking or cleaning out my room and doing spring cleaning or painting or even going outside for a walk and respecting like the two-meter distance, but I still try to go out and do something because if I lay in bed all day, my mental health is going to get worse.
0: Hmm. How has it changed your relationship with your families? Um, I'm very um, used to it.
3: My dad, I live with my dad, so it's very much the same thing every day, but it's getting to him as well because he's so used to going out running errands and now he can't. I'm trying to help as much as I can at home. Uh, If he needs groceries, I'll go in for him to the grocery store. Or it's just been, I think it brought brought us a little bit more closer because he knows that I'm going to help him out as much as I can and I I don't want to see anything bad happen to him.
0: Yeah, you said there was a bit of guilt around that, about what, you know, that you, uh, any possibility that you could ever make him sick. Yeah, that's a huge
3: thing. And I have a little niece too. I can't see her obviously, cause she's two and, and she could get it. But my biggest fear is if I left the house and I got sick and then he got it, he's more uh, vulnerable than me. So I have to be very careful about getting the virus as well as I, I avoid going out too much. So I don't give it to him. What about
4: you, Sheher Bono? Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt earlier, That's but, okay. Um, for me, I live in kind of a larger family, so there's about eight people living in my house right now, so um, yeah, pretty large family. <laughs> I have three younger siblings who are all, um, well, one of my sisters is kind of close in age to me. We're about a year and a half apart, but the other two are much younger, um, and then my grandparents as well are living with us, and then my parents. Uh, my parents are both um, a deemed essential workers, so they're both going off to work every day, which is a, like a large source of anxiety for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been kind of difficult to manage my siblings without them because they need a lot of time and attention. Like they want to be playing something. They want to be doing something all the time. And, you know, like that's not like I might feel guilty about not being able to do something with them like seven hours a day, but that's not realistic, uh, of course. And I've kind of been trying to set limits and trying to be Like when I am engaged with them, when I'm trying to do things with them, trying to be more engaged during those times, but also realizing that trying to just spending time with other people for um, all, like all the time I'm awake for about like 10 hours or 12 hours isn't exactly healthy either. Like we all need time away, just like time for ourselves to spend maybe reading a book or something like that away from your family, because even though you love them, they're important people to you. We're not really, as a species designed to be around people 24-7, like we all need a little bit of a break. Um, and you might feel a little bit of guilt for that, like you're not spending like now you have all of this time to spend with your family that you're you kind of feel like you're wasting that time. But it's important to realize that you need to have boundaries, you need to have
0: limitations for all of this time that you're spending. Victoria, I can see from you. Victoria, did you want to add to that? yeah sure
1: um so far so good for my family Mm -hmm. give it a couple more weeks we'll see what happens (laughs) um but i come from a family that is very resilient and we have survived a lot of trauma and adverse experiences together and so for us we are pretty adept at spending time together but also respecting boundaries uh like Shaher bono was saying and so we will eat dinner together we'll cook together we may watch a movie in the evenings together play a board game but during the daytime, it's very common for us to have my mom going and doing her work. I'll be doing my schoolwork or doing something I enjoy and my brother may be up in his room doing his own thing. And that allows us to really enjoy the time we get together without, um, for lack of putting it nicely, getting sick of each other pretty quick. So yeah, like Shaher Bono was saying, setting those boundaries are really important to make sure that you can have a cohesive unit in your house as a family.
0: One of the advantages if you can look at it that way, that you uh, three have over uh, a lot of other people is you've already had to deal with an awful lot of things. This is not new for you. So you've already developed a lot of coping mechanisms and, and things like that that other people maybe haven't. What have you incorporated that you have learned that you could share that might help other people? Victoria, do you want to start with that?
1: Yeah, so one of the parallels that I drew right away with the ever-changing situation of the COVID pandemic is the experience I had when I was hospitalized for the first time. Um, When you go into your unit, you are suddenly told about people you can and cannot see, things you can and cannot do. Uh, It feels like your world is changing on a dime and you're in a state of shock. And that state of shock I felt in the hospital is very similar to the one I feel now as we are dealing with the the involvement of the COVID-19 pandemic. And I feel fortunate looking back now because many of us who have experiences in systemic care, we are used to living one day at a time and used to having things change very suddenly. And so I feel that I could be a resource for those in my community who maybe don't have those skills and aren't adapted to living day at a time because that's a state of survival that we're now all in. And I feel like this is a very good time for those of us with lived experience to reach out to others who maybe are struggling with adapting to this and share our perspectives, share our resources, our coping mechanisms, because Mm -hmm. as a community, we have to get through this together and we all need to rely on one another and use the expertise uh, in any way we can provide it. What does living one day at a time look like to you? Uh, It looks like waking up in the morning and you don't set expectations for tomorrow or the day after, you gauge how you're feeling, uh, you reach out to your supports, you get a feel for how everyone around you is doing and you make a game plan for that day. And if one day at a time is too overwhelming, then you do one hour at a time. And if that's too overwhelming, you do 10 minutes at a time and you just keep going throughout those intervals making uh, safety plans, crises management, and trying to do your best to keep mindful and stable for however long you can.
0: Kate, what would you like to add about the things that you've learned?
3: I definitely can relate to everybody who's worried about their mental health or like anxiety and depression. somebody who's constant with anxiety and depression, I can understand where people are starting to get really scared or really depressed because they're home a lot. So I feel like if you have proper coping ne- mechanisms, whatever they are, or even knowing your triggers, maybe your triggers are you watch the news too much, change it to a show that you like and know that we should be aware but we should not be afraid is a huge thing, is not to panic and t- take it one day at a time, make goals for yourself, even if it's getting out of bed to brush your teeth, let that be your goal for today. Maybe it's reading a book, Maybe it's making dinner instead of getting takeout, like whatever you can do in small steps is your goal. And I feel like that will help you get through your day is when you can conquer your goal and you can say, that's a positive I had today. Oh, I made my bed or I made dinner or I meal prep for the week. And that's something that you can say, Okay, even though this is really bad, at least I did this. I'm taking advantage one day uh, at a time.
0: Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I found actually the new normal has been just um, enjoying and relaxing with the new reality and and, um, and just doing things, looking for the, for the positives, looking for the possibilities uh, with the new, knowing eventually it's gonna go back to that crazy life that we all had before. And so to find ways to enjoy, because we can't do anything else about it. Uh, Shamir Bono, what would you like to add? Yeah,
4: I was just gonna say for me, it's been a little bit different. Um, My experiences are mostly with trying to help other people. um, And I think that helps me a lot right now as well, trying to find, um, especially for relatives and uh, people that I know with developmental disabilities, when they couldn't get the supports they needed at school, um, it was trying to come up with creative ways to give them those supports. And I think um, in this pandemic right now, trying to um, navigate living in a world where all of our social interactions with our friends are online there's still a lot of that element of that creative problem solving there like still trying to stay connected to people even though you can't physically be connected to them anymore um and i felt that that's very similar um in a sense also the chance to um i've always dealt better with my own issues by trying to help other people um and especially now with a lot of uh, vulnerable people the elderly. Um, not being able to leave their houses to get groceries and things. I've joined a lot of different volunteer groups that are going out and trying to help those people, trying to deliver groceries to them. Um, But I think there's also... I think um, another thing that I've learned also is that even if you can't do any of those things, even if you can't go out and volunteer, you can't think of a creative solution to your problems, there's still a large element of um, measuring how far you've come from the day... like the day four, rather than measuring in like a large scale. Um, For example, with my brother and teaching him to read, it was, um, sometimes he wouldn't remember a word that we've gone over six or seven times and you'd get a little bit frustrated, but then he'd remember a word that he couldn't get yesterday and that was an achievement all on its own. So it's kind of like taking the small achievements where they come, even if they're not huge changes.
0: What a great perspective, I love that. Um, we're starting to get quite a few calls in uh, or questions from from people online. So one of them is, we've got a lot of students who are isolated in dorms or are isolated from their families. What kind of advice would you have for those students who'd like to begin? I'll for start. Who are isolated. Okay, Kate.
3: Um, there is definitely a lot of like free webcam services, so like Zoom or Skype. So if they're missing out on their friends or family and they live overseas, definitely using the resources you have is a huge um, benefit, especially in the 21st century where we have texting, we have uh, Skyping, we have video chat. So it's definitely a, a positive in their life as well as they could write notes or write letters to send back home, take advantage of, they, they should be able to take advantage of everything technology has to offer right now. And that's something you guys can work together is try to find ways to make it your new normal. Maybe you're Skyping or video chatting every day at six o'clock, like making up a little bit of a schedule and a time frame to see them over the video chat will help them get over, uh, you know, the whole depression of not seeing your family or friends. Yeah.
4: Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, I think also (laughs) it's kind of um, when you're by yourself and you're just, especially um, for university students, when you're by yourself and you're kind of just um, doing like intellectually stimulating things like reading a book or like binge watching a TV show or something like that, you can kind of lose track of a sense of time, I feel like you can find, like I know I've personally experienced this kind of sense that all of the days kind of bleeding into each other almost when there's no really set a routine or set schedule you have to adhere to,
2: mm-hmm. um, and I think one of the
4: things that's helped me with that is trying to do things that are grounding, that are kind of maybe like mentally not as stimulating, but they're more physically. Um, they could, they require you to be more physically there, like cooking a meal, where you have to know um, what time you put your food in the oven for, or what time you started um, what time you started frying these mm-hmm. onions or something like that. Or like cleaning, where you kind of have to, um, where you kind of have very more, a much more sense of the physical presence that you have when you're trying to clean something. And you're exerting that physical presence, or like painting or something like that, where you're kind of, you're not maybe exerting your mind as much, but you're more aware of the surroundings that are around you and the sense of um, time passing that you have i feel is a very important sense to have and you can kind of feel lost without that if you don't have a routine or something like that yeah
0: routines a lot of people i know who are home find that having a routine like yoga starting their day with yoga and then moving into certain things in the routine has really helped with their isolation um victoria what would you like to add
1: As far as connecting with family long distance, I am very fortunate to live with my family here. However, my best friend lives a couple towns away. And so before this, I didn't get to see her often. But one thing that we've started doing is when we would hang out in person, we are very relaxed people. And so we would love to just make snacks, hunker down on the couch and watch some movies together. Um, There's applications online and there's extensions on Google Sorry, Google Chrome now, where you have the opportunity to actually watch movies with people remotely and you can start and stop the movie at the same time. And so, for my family as well, we like to watch movies. And I feel if I wasn't able to be with them, that even connecting a couple times a week to watch something together, having that sense knowing that as I'm watching this on the screen, the person on the other end of the screen is watching it at the same time gives you an odd sense of collectivism and knowing that although you are distances apart, you're still engaging in something together and communicating and being
0: able to participate in a joint activity despite being so far away. Wow, what a great answer. Um, One of the things that we're starting to do in my family is um, uh, we're setting up on Zoom because we've got family members in Australia, Toronto and Edmonton setting up where all of us get to connect um, at a certain time of the week, uh, once a week. Um, and connect so that we can all communicate, parents, kids, uh, whole uh, three different generations of family, and probably having an opportunity to connect more so than what we normally would do. So there are positives that come out of this as well, and just Mm -hmm. thinking differently. I think is what what, uh, comes out of your your answers. Um, So we have some other questions as well, and this comes back to routine that we talked about. Do you think the loss of routine has created or will create a sense of loss of self and self-purpose for those that are self-isolating and yourselves? And what will that impact be on mental health? Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah, For a lot of people, it's their job. They love their job or they love school. And it's definitely going to affect their mental health. And sad to say in a negative way for those overachievers who love being at work. Like some people live through work and some people live through school. And it's it's, sadly, it's going to put them in depression and they're going to lose purpose. And a lot of them are going to get anxiety and scared and depressed because they have no income coming in or they're not working or they feel like they're not contributing enough to society right now but I think an important thing to know is as long as you're alive and as long as you're pushing through we're going to get through this it's going to eventually go away and we're going to end up stronger and we're going to have a stronger government and we're all going to be stronger and more aware of people and in that time of need we just need to focus on each other and support the community and know that one day this will pass and you'll be going back to work and school and your grad programs
0: and you're all going to be fine. So uh, one of the issues that we had off the top was technology and I'm learning about new technologies. I've used this technology before, but not to this extent. Um, and uh, But I'm wondering, the three of you had no problems at all getting onto this call. Do you think that uh, the fact that you're a lot more adept at technology is really helping you with this isolation? Yeah, I, I think,
4: think
0: there's definitely, oh, sorry, Victoria. Okay. Go ahead,
4: okay, Victoria.
1: Okay, I think there's definitely, okay. It's okay, go ahead. Uh, all right, okay. sorry. Uh, Bono, you can go, it's all good. Bono, you can
4: go, yeah. Okay, sorry, okay. I couldn't hear anything for a second there. Um, I think there's definitely, like, technology is really helpful, um, during this time to be able to connect with other people um, and to be able to connect with friends that you might not be able to see in person anymore. Um, Especially when you were talking about uh, the sense of identity earlier that someone asked about, I think a lot of people's identities are online, a lot of, uh, for a lot of them. Um, But there's also, I feel like, like technology can be kind of detrimental in that way as well, um, because of if you're not really connecting with people Uh, face to face, I can kind of feel like this isn't like you're not really connecting with them can kind of, um, there's kind of that sense of like anonymity, even though there is no anonymity, it still kind of feels like the people that you're connecting with online aren't really there. Um, And so like, I feel like that is also an issue and um, a way that I've been dealing with that with not being able to see my friends and it kind of not, wanting to see my friends online so much because it feels like it doesn't it doesn't feel real to me um in some sense is that I've kind of been trying to do things that are that are real that are grounding activities that I have um in order to feel I have my family around me and I'm lucky for that and I know other people may not be as lucky so their interaction their social interactions are online and there's nothing they can do about that but there's also different grounding activities that you can do to feel more connected to yourself, to feel more like as more of a person rather than an online entity, kind of, if that makes sense. Victoria? Um,
1: so just a question that was originally asked about day-to-day routine and how easy it is, um, to quote Sheher Bono, that the days bleed into each other. Um, as we kind of all have been talking about throughout this, setting goals is really important, whether it's something bigger, you know, like getting a full lecture done for your classes or something smaller, as Kate was saying, like getting out of bed and brushing your teeth. Um, I feel like those are the really important steps to make sure that our days aren't bleeding into one another and setting loose time goals. So, I would like to exercise today. I'm going to get that done anytime between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. And then that gives me that sense of time and that sense of purpose throughout my day. And there's also a concept in psychology and Erickson's stages of psychosocial development called generativity. And that is the goal to give back to others and give back to other generations and to our community. And I feel through this pandemic, um, similar to Scheherbano, I derive a great sense of healing and purpose through helping others. And so I may set a goal for myself each day. How can I help someone, whether it's making dinner for my family, whether it's participating in a web series such as this to share the youth perspective, um, setting a goal every single day to try and help someone else, or even if that person is yourself, if you're struggling and you want to do something
0: to help you, that really gives us a sense of purpose and a sense of self throughout times like this. Wow. One of the questions that, um, another question that we've been asked online is what mental health supports will help students during this new normal? Anybody want to answer that? Victoria, do you want to continue?
1: Um, So with this transition to technology, my therapy sessions have now been moved online. And I know that there are countless staff at CASA who are working diligently to adapt their services to these new online formats. Um, I'm part of a Facebook group for Edmonton Young Women and they have branched off that group into a COVID-19 ladies chat where if we have any questions, concerns, um, there's now these online communities popping up to get specific resources and general peer support around the topic of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so in times of social distancing and uh, world crises such as this, really taking advantage and utilizing those online communities in any ways that you can um, to do anything to try and help yourself, whether it's a professional support or reaching out to someone online indirectly for questions, comments, or concerns. Wow. Anybody else want to add to that?
3: A lot of therapy places are now doing, especially for my therapy, we're doing it through texting or phone calls, just like my doctor appointments, unless it's a dire need. We'll do it over the phone and do a consultation if it needs to even be brought up inside of a uh, facility or a doctor building or whatever. But there's a lot of apps now out there that are giving therapies, a lot of mental health uh, programs and um, therapy groups are now going to online. So you could potentially, I don't know which one's in Edmonton, but if you do a look online, there are tons of um, Edmonton and Alberta-based therapy groups that are, you can text a therapist and then they're around from a certain amount of time. There's also the crisis, even if you're not having a crisis but you're still distressed or freaking out, you can call the helpline as well. So there are a few um,
0: options up. So I think it all depends on what your preference is. Okay, another question that we've got um, is one that goes back to schooling again. It says, How do you think online schooling is going to affect youth who struggle due to mental health and learning disabilities? Uh, For some of these people, they learn better from hands-on. Yeah, so
1: my mom is a social worker by trade, and she works with the Head Start program for young kiddos who are on spectrum. And one thing that she's been noticing is without these hands-on supports from education staff, Um, Many children and adolescents aren't getting those extra supports and hands-on help that they may need. Uh, EAs played a vital role in education for many children. And two, when we have parents working from home, it can be very difficult to balance that struggle between needing to get your work done from home versus needing to educate your children at home. Um, and when you're dealing with a pandemic, you're experiencing lots of anxiety. It can be very, very hard to focus and put in a game when it comes to your schoolwork. And I think really it's good that a lot of these uh, institutions have started to be lenient with their grading and really lenient with the amount of coursework they're expecting people to do because it would be very unrealistic for uh, school systems to expect that eight hour day, five days a week.
4: Mm-hmm. I think it- also, Oh, sorry. It's okay, go ahead. I think also um, with mental health, it's kind of, um, and with developmental disabilities, a lot of it is also about getting that routine that you have from school and about getting that interaction with other people that's also very, more than the actual classwork itself. It seems like the peer-to-peer interactions that are missing now, those are the ones that are doing the real educating especially for students um, who have developmental disabilities Um, and now having not having those anymore and trying to substitute those um, with online learning is very difficult because when it's not um, especially with um, for people with autism they want things to stay the same so a lot of change can be very anxiety inducing for them not seeing their teachers anymore not seeing the aids that they have Um, that they've had for maybe two or three years, it's very difficult um, for them to learn anything when they're in the state of constant change. Um, And so one of the most important things that we found is especially for um, the relatives that I have um, who have developmental disabilities is trying to keep a schedule, trying to, even if we don't do 10 pages of reading a day, just doing even one page or day, giving them one task to finish and then we can say that they've actually learned something today. And
0: um, if they haven't learned as much as they would in school. Do you think that students have a lot more to be anxious about today uh, than, I, I don't know, if you had discussions with your parents and that kind of thing about what they went through and, and the kinds of things that you have to deal with now? Um, go ahead, Kate. I think we're very, very lucky
3: uh, the fact that we have technology and that's going to help us out a lot and a lot of schools are willing to adapt with this because they they had pandemics in the past, but they really didn't, like, technology wasn't number one at that point, or they had time now to adapt from past pandemics on how they're going to um, structure this. I think for most um, post-secondaries, especially with the U of A and those with learning disabilities, it's definitely going to be hard for them because some of them have extra time on the t- test and how are they going to have a test if it's going to be on computer or if they don't have a computer how are they going to access the exam or the internet's faulty those are huge questions that kind of are up in the air but I think for the most part is we have we have adapted in the past and we're adapting now and as we move forward to the next pandemic, hopefully it won't be for a very, very long time. But at least we have the experience now to move forward and say, "Okay, this didn't work. Let's do it this way." Or next time we're going to we're going to work things out to um, do something completely different, or we'll come we'll stay with this track. So we now have we we're growing in experience from from pandemic past pandemics to pandem-
0: pandemics today. Wow, I um, we just have a couple of minutes left before we have to uh, before we have to leave. So, I'm wondering there are so many different things on this topic, um, and maybe some areas that we haven't touched on. Um, is there anything that you would like to add before we go? Any last words for the audience? Any things that you'd like to pass on, Victoria?
1: I would just like to call for that collective in this time. Now is the time to reach out. And now is the time to band together as a community, practice empathy, practice sharing, um, assume good and assume kindness and practice good and kindness with those around you. Find your supports, find yourself throughout this. Uh, It's okay to have hard days. It's okay to grieve. There's lots of loss throughout this. But now is the time to reach out. And now is the time to band together more than ever, because if we are gonna get through this, it's gonna be as a collective. It takes a village and this is no exception. So I just like to ask everyone who's watching to try to do one kind thing a day, even if it's for just yourself. And that's important, Uh, same as anyone else. And really just try to make sure that we're getting through this together and practicing empathy and compassion and
0: kindness overall. Wow, beautiful. Sheher Bono, Is there anything that you'd like to add before we sign off? Um, Yeah, I think one of the most important things,
4: like Victoria said, is trying to help people, trying to reach out to others who um, maybe you haven't talked to your friends in a while and it kind of feels like you don't really want to talk to your friends, but still making that effort to maintain those connections that you had before, even though it kind of feels like it isn't as fulfilling to have them online trying to keep up with doing schoolwork, even though it feels like it doesn't really matter anymore, trying to keep those routines in your life, trying to at least accomplish, even if you can't accomplish something big every day, just trying to do one thing um, every day, just uh, like to achieve one of your goals at least, and trying to keep in touch with all of those relationships and the life you had um, before social distancing and before COVID-19, because one, one day we'll have to go back to that life and there will be some consequences if you decide not to do any of your schoolwork at all or you just decide to lose contact with all of your friends and those consequences are going to be for you. So it's in your best interest to try, even if it's really hard, just try to do at least one thing to maintain that life that you had before.
0: Mm, wonderful. Kate, you'd like to add.
4: See, everybody's been talking
3: about like helping others, but most importantly, you need to take care of yourself. Self care. Go. You need to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. So be really honest with yourself of what you need at this point. Look into resources. If you need to see your doctor, go see your doctor. If you need to see your therapist, text them, call them. You don't know until you try. And if you need those resources, you need to seek those resources. So even it could be simply texting or calling your therapist. Can we have an online conversation uh, or an online or telephone uh, section? They'll most likely do that or fit you in. You definitely have to take care of yourself in times of need because you can't help others before you help yourself.
0: Well, that's a great way to end this. Thank you so much uh, to the three of you. Um, It's been fantastic dialogue. I'd love to continue. I think we're going to have to do this again. Um, So insightful and articulate, and uh, Cass is lucky to have you. So thank you very much you. Uh, to Victoria, Kate, and Jahir Bono. Um, this has been a, a presentation of CASA. Uh, you can get more resources from CASA online at casaservices.org, um, and you can ask your questions. This will also be taped and it'll be running online as well. So if you want to invite any friends or family to come and take a look, if you found it insightful, uh, you can catch it online. If you'd like to support CASA, and their work with infant children, youth, and their families. You can text to CASA at 393939 for information on how to donate. And, boy, it doesn't matter whether it's $10 or $25 or $100, anything is much appreciated. And we're going to continue with this web series on Monday, and we're going to be talking about addictions um, and the impact of uh, people dealing with that uh, with this pandemic on their mental health. Um, So now stay tuned, 3.30 for The Daily Coronavirus with Dr. Dina Hinshaw, Alberta's Chief Medical Officer of Health. That's at alberta.ca. And on behalf of CASA, thank you for joining us. I'm Leslie McDonald. Take care of yourself.